Welcome to the Epidemic Belfast podcast. I'm Rebecca Watterson, a researcher on this project and PhD researcher at Ulster University. Epidemic Belfast is a public history and medical humanities initiative from Ulster University. It aims to map changing experience of infection and disease for individuals and communities in a unique urban environment, Belfast from the 19th century to the present day. On today's podcast, we have Caitlin Smith, who is a PhD researcher at Ulster University. Hi, Caitlin. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Rebecca. Thank you. Could you tell us a little bit about your research? Yeah, so as you said, I'm Caitlin. I'm a PhD researcher at Ulster University, and my research is focused on maternal and infant welfare in Belfast during the 20th century, so specifically 1900 to 1974, and it's just investigating what were the circumstances in Belfast at this time, why were maternal death rates so high at this time, and what was done to combat this? So what did the government do to improve their welfare and mortality rates? Uh, How did the medicalisation of childbirth improve the lives of these women and their survival chances? And just overall, what was the experiences of motherhood in Belfast during the 20th century? That sounds really interesting. So can you um, explain a little bit more? Um, Let's start with when did the regulation of midwifery begin in Belfast and why? Yep. So uh, the regulation of midwifery began in Belfast in 1911. And this is when the Corporation Act of 1911 was brought in specifically to Belfast. Now, it must be remembered at this time, Northern Ireland hadn't been created yet. Ireland as a whole was under British rule. And in 1902, the British government passed the 1902 Midwives Act. This, however, was not extended to any part of Ireland. And so by 1911, the Belfast Corporation decided that they needed something in place to regulate the practice of midwifery. So they introduced the Corporation Act of 1911. And this basically was to regulate the practice of midwifery. It created a midwife's role. So you had to have training in order to be a qualified midwife. Or if you had years of experience and a good reputation in the city, you could become a bona fide midwife and you could practice. And the main aim of this was to stamp out handy women. So handy women were women in the city who offered their services, but they were not trained. We don't know exactly where they got their training, whether it was from assisting births or going out with their mothers, perhaps, or helping through their own birth. But they basically offered their assistance to working class women who couldn't afford to pay for a midwife. You know, even with this act being implemented, it was only those who were considered pauper status who were given free midwifery care. So working women in the city who didn't qualify, who were well off enough to not qualify for uh, midwifery services, but were too poor to actually pay for a qualified woman had to use these handy women. And this act was trying to stamp out their practice because it was believed that it was handy women that spread purple fever in the city. And this is an infection that occurs after birth. Even a seemingly normal birth with no complications could result in this infection and the woman could die. So it's believed that handy women didn't sanitize their tools properly. They weren't cleaning their hands properly. So they were the cause of disease. So this act was really trying to stamp them out and stop them working in Belfast. And then this was solidified by the 1918 Midwives of Ireland Act, which replaced the Corporation Act and was now for the whole of Ireland under basically the same conditions 
they were stamping out handy women, they were regulating midwives, and they were attempting to control the practice of midwifery in order to reduce mortality rates within the city. This is fascinating. Um, so how did antenatal care develop in Belfast then? So antenatal care started to, it was called to be developed from 1917. So we see the First World War happening. And this is where we see a real push in Britain were losing men at the front and they didn't have enough healthy infants coming in. So they thought if we can control the woman during her pregnancy, she will result, she will give us a healthy infant and that'll help our population. Um, but it was really pushed from 1930 onwards because in Northern Ireland and Belfast in particular, we see this real spike in maternal mortality. And to quote the actual medical officer for health of Belfast, which was Charles Thompson in 1930, he stated the stream is no purer than the source. So what's really important to point out is antenatal care was developed in the city because they believed if we help women now, we get healthy infants. It wasn't to actually help the woman. It was to help produce the best infants possible. So by 1930, there was three antenatal care. Uh, care centres in Belfast. So there was one in the maternity hospital at Townsend. There was uh, the Midnight Mission in Malone Place. And there was one at the Ulster Hospital. The issue with this, and I think it should always be remembered, is we're in Ireland and Northern Ireland at this time. Sex wasn't discussed. Topics involving sex weren't discussed. Pregnancy is obviously related to the topic of sex. So these women were not comfortable going in and we didn't have ultrasounds. This was vaginal exams feeling around the woman's stomach. They simply weren't comfortable talking about this or being examined when they didn't have to be. And 70% of mothers weren't actually receiving any antenatal care at this time. So they try to develop it. Belfast had a range of baby clinics at this time that were developed from the First World War. And these were essentially centers that a mother could take her child to be weighed they could be fed, the mother could be fed, and then she would be taught what was called mothercraft. So how do you look after your infant? How do you feed your infant? How do you clothe your infant? So they thought working class women are coming here. They're trusting us enough for that. So why don't we bring antenatal care in there as well? Didn't work well. You know, by 1938, from the women using, for example, the Jubilee Hospital, there was 1,500 births, and yet only 1% of these women had actually attended any antenatal clinic. And as well, they tried their best to develop antenatal care in the, in the city, but these records weren't shared. So if you went to a baby clinic for antenatal care, it was a doctor that carried out your exam. Many women, most women were delivered by midwife. The doctors were not sharing these records with the midwives. And the purpose of antenatal care is monitor the woman during childbirth, uh, during um, pregnancy, see what issues she has, see if we think she's going to develop any complications, then we help her in childbirth. If you're not sharing the records, then the person delivering the baby and helping the mother during labor doesn't know any of these conditions, so with a no position to help. So they tried their best to develop it, but number one, women didn't want to talk about these, these things, and number two, they weren't giving the information to the people who needed it in order to make a real difference. So why was there an investigation into maternal morbidity and mortality in 1943? Yeah, so the 1943 uh, paper, it was actually, there was a committee established in 1936. Um, as I had said previously, 
maternal mortality rates at this time were crazy for Northern Ireland compared to other places. So they put this uh, committee in place in 1936 to investigate mortality and morbidity among mothers. And they had finished their research by 1939. The purpose of this was to outline what needed to be done in the city to help mortality rates. The government didn't have the money and didn't want to put the money into these services. And that's why the report was only published in 1943. So this investigation was brought about, if I can give you an example of 1936. In 1936, England and Wales were recording um, mortality rates of 4.9 uh, maternal mortality per 1,000 live births. In 1936, Northern Ireland, the maternal mortality rate was 7.3 per 1,000. So it's a big difference in England and Wales versus Northern Ireland. And the medical uh, professionals in 1936 had concluded that at least 50% of maternal deaths were preventable, but nothing was in place to help them. So they bring this investigation in to see what are the causes of high infant mortality? What can the government do? What funds can the government put into services to help the, these rates? And what can they instruct the medical people to do in order to help mothers? Um, a big thing of this as well was that they wanted to help home births. So at this time, home births were predominant. Many women were given birth at home, but this brought its own complications. You know, they were thinking, how can we help a woman that hemorrhages at home whenever she's just had a midwife or has a doctor? They don't have the facilities there to help that. So what needs to be put in place? But I think important to point out is, again, all this, all of these investigations, all of the legislation was brought about because a child is more likely to survive infancy if its mother is alive. It's more likely to be born stronger if its mother is cared for during pregnancy. So what really was, we are protecting these mothers because we need their infants to be healthy. It wasn't, we want to help women in the city. It was, we want to help their children. So what was the outcome and the impact of that investigation? Yeah, so they had called for many different reforms from this. They stated that midwives needed to take control of antenatal centres. Number one, because a woman is more likely to be accepting of a, another woman examining her. And also, these are the people that are helping her during birth. They know what they they will know then from, their, uh, from the mothers what her conditions are. They called for medical facilities to share records. So this is the likes of the antenatal, antenatal centers sharing records with hospitals, sharing them with midwives who aren't involved in examinations so that everyone knows the woman has a certain condition and may need extra help during labor. Um, it also called for midwives to be provided with, their, uh, with materials. So up until now, midwives in the city and throughout Northern Ireland had to buy their own materials. They had to buy their own equipment. They had to use their salary to buy their own things. So they decided this committee reached the conclusion that if every midwife has the same materials and the same equipment, it's more likely to reduce the mortality rate because nobody is lacking a certain type of equipment that is needed. There was also calls for all women to be given free medical care. They said it wasn't enough that only pauper women were given free um, maternity care. All women needed free maternity care and it would improve everyone's chances of survival, but also it would make them less reliant on handy women. If maternity care was free, they will use qualified people and will it will reduce their mortality. 
But none of this was actually introduced until we see the establishment of the NHS later in this decade. Um, there was also a call for a good ambulance service to be introduced to Northern Ireland. And the committee worked closely with the British Medical Association and requested that they needed a means to provide emergency treatment to women in home births. So this was one of the things that resulted in real action. This resulted in the emergency obstetrical unit, uh, more commonly known as the flying squad. And it was basically a group that surfaced Belfast and the 25 mile radius. They could provide emergency care if something went wrong in childbirth, such as a hemorrhage. They could be called and they could hopefully save the woman from complications that her midwife or the doctor present couldn't do because they didn't have the equipment. But even if I was to give one example, there was a case in December 1950 where a woman from Belfast in Belfast had given birth to a stillborn with spina bifida. Immediately after birth, the woman started hemorrhaging. So it was decided by the doctor on the case he couldn't control the bleeding and he needed to call for the flying squad. It took the flying squad 90 minutes to arrive at this house. By this time, the woman had lost three pints of blood. And by the time that they arrived, they had 15 minutes where they tried to do a transfusion, but the woman sadly passed away. They didn't get there in time. And there was an investigation into this case to see how could something like this have happened in 1950? You know, the establishment of the NHS, this flying squad had been going on. Number one, the flying squad said that they were on another call and couldn't just leave their other patient. But number two, they said they had to wait on a taxi. The flying squad, despite calls for an ambulance service to be developed, the flying squad refused to use the ambulance service, quoting that nosy neighbours stopped them from doing proper work. They stated that if they were to come in an ambulance to a neighbourhood, the neighbours were so nosy in Northern Ireland that they, they've quoted saying this that they would stop the men from getting into the house on time and they would be so concerned with answering questions of the general public that they couldn't do their proper work of saving mother. So they used a taxi. Now, the conditions in December 1950, it was extremely cold. There was ice. This was in the report. So they had to wait on the taxi to get from his house to the hospital and to the hospital to the patient's house in the freezing cold and the report finally showed that if an ambulance had have been used it would have been a very different outcome but they simply didn't use ambulances because they didn't want to draw attention. Okay then I am speechless at your at your last point. When, when did they decide that they would use ambulances? Um, they did an investigation after this. It was 1951 this investigation continued. Um, they originally said an ambulance needed to be used. The flying squad came back saying, we definitely can't use an ambulance. It's too nosy. They're, the neighbours are too nosy. So it was decided that two taxis would be on call. So if one taxi was busy, another taxi person would be available to take them to the call. The ambulances were not used. Um, thank you so much. This is a, a really, really interesting episode. Um, thank you for thank having you. me. Thank you for joining us.